Childhood Development Child development is a complex process that begins in the womb and continues until adulthood. It's influenced by biology and the environment and can be shaped by these either positively or negatively. The mental health of a person depends greatly on the development they had as a child. It is crucial to follow the child's development to ensure that it is adequate. This is done mainly by parents and primary doctors through parental observations, routine visits, and screening tools. Once a gap or delay is identified, the correct services should be arranged in order to optimize the well-being of the child and thus the well-being of the future adult. Function Newborn period and primitive reflexes The newborn period is significant in development. The adequate development of a newborn is assessed mainly by a complete physical exam. The neurologic exam is key for this assessment. Specifically, primitive reflexes reveal adequate central nervous system development. They appear and disappear in specific times of development. These include rooting, sucking, stepping, palmer, and plantar grasp, Babinski, Landau, glabella, asymmetric tonic neck, and parachute reflex. Rooting sucking reflex. The rooting reflex consists of touching the infant's mouth or cheek in response of head turning toward a stimulus. This sucking reflex is a sucking motion with placing a finger or the nipple inside the infant's mouth. It can assess the trigeminal and hypoglossal cranial nerves. Both reflexes are present at birth and disappear by four months. Their absence may indicate prematurity or central nervous system depression. Moro reflex. This reflex can be present as early as 25 weeks. It is elicited by loud noise, allowing the head to fall onto the examiner's hand and then suddenly releasing their hand. This, the physiologic response is abduction and extension of the limbs. The normal reflex response is symmetrical. Asymmetry suggests injury to the brachial plexus, clavicular, and humeral fracture or hemiplegia. This reflex generally disappears by four months of age. Stepping reflex. This reflex is found in the first six weeks. It is elicited by holding the baby upright while both feet touch a surface. The normal response is that the baby raises the feet as if walking. It disappears by two months of age. Palmer grasp and plantar grasp. The palmer grasp reflex is found at 28 weeks gestation. It is prompted when the examiner places a finger into the infant's palm. The normal response is the flexion of the fingers, forming a fist around the finger. Absent grasp reflex may indicate nerve injury. It disappears by six months of age. The plantar grasp is similar to the palmar grasp in which the examiner places a finger into the plantar aspect of the foot. The normal response is curling inward of the toes. It disappears by 15 months. Babinski reflex. It is prompted by stroking the lateral plantar surface of the heel to the toes and then toward the big toe. To this stimulus, there is a fanning out of the big toe. This response is normal in infant up to two years of age. In adults, a positive Babinski sign suggests an upper motor neuron disease. Landau reflex. It appears in the first three months. It is listed by holding the baby in a supine position in midair. The response is an extension of the legs and head as if looking up. It disappears by 24 months. Glabella sign. It is elicited by tapping the glabella with response to bilateral blinking of the eyes. Asymmetric tonic neck reflex, also called fencing reflex. This reflex is elicited when the infant is supine by turning the head to one side. The normal response is the extension of the arm to the opposite side. When it disappears, the infant can roll over. Parachute reflex. This reflex appears at about eight months of life and it never disappears. It is elicited by positioning the infant 
prone in midair head first, the response of the infant is to extend the arms and spread the fingers to protect the head. Asymmetry may suggest extremity weakness or specificity, even if even in complex neurological deficit. Later infancy, school age, and pre-adolescence. The child continues to grow and develop past the newborn period. The main development domains are gross motor, fine motor, language, cognition, and social-emotional behavior. Only in the first year, a baby learns to hold his head, grasp, crawl, sit, stand, and walk. They also begin to smile. Language is developed with the first cooing and then babbling. As they continue to grow, they start to show interest in others and their surroundings and learn to follow simple commands. Once they reach 12 months old, they can point to the desired object and understand the meaning of no. Development from one to two years includes learning more words, combining them, scribbling, running, and playing with another infant. From three to six years, infants can learn to copy figures on a piece of paper and later draw a person, use a scissor, point to colors, and do some daily living activities like brushing their teeth or using the bathroom. They begin to learn to read and write and have friends. They are also able to answer why questions. In the later part of infancy, including 6 to 12 years old, children can do more than complex sports or play an instrument. Reading becomes a learning activity. Adolescence. The years of adolescence are the ones of fast and big changes. It is a time when the child becomes mature emotionally, biologically, and socially. The development consists of finding an identity and becoming autonomous. There are three phases of adolescence, early from age 10 to 13, middle from age 14 to 17, and late from 18 to 21. Early adolescence starts with puberty and is characterized by egocentricity, emotional lability, and concrete thinking. Socially, interest changes from family relationships towards friends, especially the same sex. Middle adolescence is the time for abstract thinking. Social development includes friends of the opposite sex and romantic relationships may also start. They spend more time alone or with friends instead of with the family in an attempt to search for their own identity and autonomy. Most of the pubertal physical changes have already occurred, and it is at this time that they start feeling more comfortable with their body. This is also a time when sexual relationships start. Last but not least, late adolescence. For the most of the time, when they reach their maximum independence, emotionally, identity is formed, interests are more stable, and there's interest in future decisions. Abstract thinking is firmly established. Socially, they are not so influenced by others anymore. The family becomes more important, and closer relationships with them can be formed. More serious and stable romantic relationships can be established. Issues of concern. Attachment in infancy. All normally developing infants develop attachment relationships with their caregivers. Infant-parent attachment is a key for the social and emotional outcome of a child's development. The type of attachment that exists between a child and the parent is associated with emotional and behavioral problems or lack thereof. Children develop attachment relationships unrelated to the type of caregiver they have, even those who are neglectful. The definition of attachment is the aspect of the relationship that makes a child feel protected and safe. It develops around six months of life. At this age, infants can predict the reaction of their caregiver and modify their responses to this reaction. There are four types of attachments, and they are divided into organized and disorganized, and are further classified, classified as secure or insecure. The type of attachment of a child has is a result of the response of the caregiver when the child was searching for attachment. A child searches for attachment when he or she feels threatened, scared, or insecure. Organized types are those who, where 
the child knows what to do with the caregiver. Examples are this child might know uh, that he can approach or avoid a person who cares for him or her. Secure attachments are those that have very low risk of developing adjustment problems in the future. The first type of organized and secure uh, secure attachment. These infants have prompt loving response to the stressors of the infant. The infant knows how the caregiver will respond, making it organized and secure. Next, the, next is the organized yet insecure and avoidant attachment type. These infants have caregivers who dismissively react to their stress. It is considered organized because the child knows to avoid the caregiver because of the rejection they will receive. The third is the organized, insecure, and resistant attachment. These are the caregivers who react inconsistently and intend that the infant attends to the caregiver's own stressors. It is organized because the infant learns to consistently get the caregiver's attention despite their changing and unexpected response. The last of the attachment types is the disorganized and insecure types. This is one of the most commonly used by infants in high risk situations. These children are exposed to unusual parental, parental caregiver behaviors, meaning frightened, sexualized, or atypical. These behaviors occur with or without the stressor of a child. Evidence has demonstrated that when, a, when an infant has an organized and secure attachment type of a relationship, it is protective from social and emotional maladjustments in later infancy and adolescent years. Specifically, the organized attachment is strongly predictive of serious maladjustments and psychological issues. They are more sensitive to stress, have issues with controlling emotions, and tend to present with aggressive behaviors. About 80% of children who have been victims of abuse display a disorganized attachment. During childhood, they can present with conditions like oppositional, defiant disorder, bad classroom behavior, low performance in mathematics, and low self-esteem. Adolescents may present with more psychiatric diseases and impaired operational skills, as well as poor self-control. School readiness. School readiness is defined as the optimal relationship between the readiness of a child, the readiness of the school, and the family's interactions that support the child that will ensure the child's success in school. These three aspects can be discussed individually. When it comes to the child, this means adequate physical, social, and emotional development. These include good health and growth and being able to communicate, listening and speaking, and have behavioral control. In regards to school, there should be an easy transition between school and home, and parents must be able to have an interaction with the school. Teachers must be committed to provide instruction to children and be willing to change their approach if the initial one is not re resulting well. As for the family, this aspect begins as early as prenatal care, and having a primary physician for the child, uh, nutrition must be optimal, and parents need to be willing to take the time to help their children. There are five needs of children that determine school readiness. Proper nutrition, nurturing, have the ability to develop skills and talents to help the community, protection from abuse, caretakers that allow children to heal physically and mentally as, as this develops a reliance on them. All the child's experience with early development in whatever setting they are in, home, daycare, or preschool, influences their education. If children have a routine and support and are supported emotionally, they can learn better and be more resilient as they grow. If a child is exposed early to an environment that is engaging and supporting, it is likely that they are mentally healthy later in life. Temperament. Temperament in children encompasses the different reactions and ability of a child to self-regulate. These can be formed within the first year of life and they can include physiologic and emotional reactions. It is inherited and it is also stable. However, it is influenced by emotional and social interactions. Temperament ha also has a great impact on child development, both socially and emotionally. It is believed that it plays a role in social interactions, cognition, and adjustment. 
A difficult temperament includes a baby that is difficult to soothe, a child who reacts highly to a stimulus or a very fussy child. A child with difficult temperament is likely to be an adolescent with difficult temperament. This type of temperament is a risk factor for having a psychological pathologies in the future. Temper tantrums. Temper tantrums are very common in children. A temper tantrum is an intense period of demonstrating frustration or anger that is disproportionate to the situation. Some of the behaviors that children demonstrate during temper tantrums are hitting, screaming, waving at the extremities, falling on the floor, headbanging, throwing, or kicking things, holding their breath. A child has temper tantrums mostly. After all, they cannot communicate because they cannot cope with the situation, but it can also be because they are looking for attention. This child just might be hungry, sick, or frustrated and make a temper tantrum to communicate this. It is important to know that temper tantrums are a normal part of child development. It is a transition while they are learning to control their emotions and become more independent. The age that they appear the, the most are between the ages of two and three. If temper tantrum persists beyond this age, it may indicate that the child has still not learned coping mechanisms. Once a child can communicate and express their feeling, temper tantrums subside. Temper tantrums can be abnormal, however. The time or duration or age may indicate that it is not a normal part of the child's development. If a tantrum lasts more than 15 minutes, uh, if the child has more than is more than five years of age, if a child injures or him or herself destroys something or injures another person, it is therefore another behavior accompanying the tantrum. For example, enuresis, as if the behavior between the tantrums does not return to baseline. The best treatment for temper tantrums is to prevent them. Identifying triggers, having daily routines is a way to avoid inconsistencies, and the child knows what to expect of the caretaker. Children should be taught early about feelings. The way when they are able to communicate, they know how to express these in words. Once a temper tantrum starts, the caretaker should stay calm, offer a timeout, ignore the behavior, but make sure the child is not in danger. It is correct to leave the room and wait for the tantrum to stop.